speak to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So did you catch Thomas's question? Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? For those of us who feel that doubting Thomas sometimes gets a bad rap, which we discussed a few weeks ago, we get another chance this morning to think about him in this exchange with Jesus. The passage began with Jesus saying to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Let's be clear. Disciples had good reason to be troubled. They were gathered for the Last Supper. Judas has just bolted. Peter promised not to deny Jesus when the going got tough, and we know how that turned out. Predictions of suffering were top of mind, as John's Gospel quite ominously says, it was night in all kinds of ways. In that moment, Jesus invites the disciple to believe that everything is going to be well as they follow him in the way he is going. And Thomas wonders, how can we know the way? And I found myself wondering, have you ever asked that question? How can we know the way? Jesus answers Thomas with one of the many I am statements in the Gospel of John. He has already said things like, I am the light, I am the door, I am the bread. Each of those metaphors is rich in meaning, and they signal this vision that Jesus had of his unique oneness with the God of Israel, known as the great I am. And that close identification is one, one reason that the religious leaders not only accused Jesus of blasphemy, but wanted to kill him. Such opposition did not stop Jesus. In response to Thomas's question, how can we know the way? What did Jesus say? I am the way. Now, as I mentioned, it's been said that doubting Thomas is in the running for patron saint of Episcopalians because we can be a skeptical group. Whether you see him as skeptic or a cynic, as person of depleted or deficient faith, whether he offers a reflection of yourself, maybe he's your hero. Today's gospel reading broadens our picture. So we see Thomas not only as a doubter, but as a learner, a seeker, a model for us, a work in progress. After all, what is a disciple but a learner? In my own spiritual journey and in my work with congregations, I come again, back, back again and again to a question posed by a guy named Brian McLaren. He looked at the current state of things religious and he posed these questions for our churches. Are we a club for the elite who pretend to have arrived or are we a school for disciples who are on the way? I'm wondering how would you answer that question based on your experience of the church. A club for the elite who pretend to have arrived, a school for disciples who are on the way. Mr. McLaren, not surprisingly, opts for the latter, claiming that the journey of faith is all about learning. It's about being part of a school. It's being on the way. And he gets back up if we note that the first Christians were not called Christians, a name that could suggest an institution could suggest organized religion or 
disorganized religion in the case of Episcopalians. Instead, the first Jesus followers were called people of the way. They were on the move, part of the Jesus movement, as Michael Curry calls it, a community walking the way of love, as Michael Curry describes it. And if you permit one more Michael Curry quote, if that way is not about love, it's not about God. Early Christians captured that character of Jesus' ministry simply by sharing love with each other and with those around them, which for them was walking in the way of Jesus. It's the way to which we are called. In today's passage, Tom is learning about that way and he helps us to do the same. I have a sense that a sermon on this passage must note that there are challenges embedded when we read that no one can come to the Father but by Jesus. It can sound limiting, narrow, prescriptive, exclusive like a club. So I turned to what a seminary professor taught me about matters of faith. He said, sometimes we have to decide what we believe and what we refuse to believe. Some people read Jesus' words and draw a quite small circle of who can really know God's life. I'm gonna to choose to refuse to believe that Jesus is making a statement about comparative religion or judging billions of people who never heard of him or could not hear of him or have been driven away by Jesus' followers. Richard Rohr put it this way, Jesus did not come to create a country club or a tribe of people who would say, we're in and you're out. We've got the truth and you don't. Laura says, Jesus came to reveal something that was true everywhere for everyone and all the time. So I choose to believe that when Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life, the way to the Father, he's not talking about creed or confession or scripted conversion, not about rites of initiation or being born again, as important as those things are. He's not talking about the institution of the church, a club for the spiritually elite who think they've arrived. Instead, I choose to believe that when he says, I am the way, he is inviting disciples into relationship with him. And as our teacher, as our teacher, he is showing us the way to enter into God's life and inviting us to walk with him. Imagine. So what does his way look like? I think it's the way observed in Holy Week, the way of the cross, the way of putting others before self. It's the way of the servant, which he embodied, embodied when he got down on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. It's marked by love of God and neighbor. And what he's talking about this way is the hope of the world. Because I don't need to tell you that our world is starved for reconciliation and forgiveness, for grace and mercy for kindness and healing. It's a world that needs resurrection, a world that needs Easter. Seems to me kind of crazy how our world tries to get all those things in other ways, through division and walls and land grabs and violence. We've seen it again this weekend in Dallas. Among other things, it just doesn't work. Those God-forsaken ways represent a false path and not one that is true. They do not bring life, they bring death. 
So I just returned from a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. I know some of you have made that journey. Uh, I'm in a slightly jet lagged state. So if things don't make sense, you can blame the jet lag, okay? <laughs> I'm absorbing the lessons from that holy part of the world. And for me, it felt like the center of the world, drawing people from all over the globe. I was deeply moved by the deep devotion I witnessed and it made my own devotion feel a bit shallow. <laughs> I saw, for instance, really old people on canes and crutches and walkers climbing steep, steep steps to pay homage. I saw people, indefatigable people with disabilities determined to worship. People who I imagine saved all their money for years to make this trip. Many came because in their own way, they were embracing Jesus' way. They are pilgrims who enrolled in a school for disciples. They are people on the way. And I was encouraged to think of folks, imagine this, think of folks doing that for centuries from all traditions and regions brought together with the conviction that Jesus is alive and that Jesus is so much more than a history lesson that we are not alone in the way of following Jesus, there is this great cloud of witnesses. At the same time, I was telling somebody in the hallway, the trip was wonderful and awful. The city revealed another side. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem is a marvelous, mysterious space shared by a number of denominations. I found myself imagining that each group thinks They've really figured out the Jesus movement. One morning we went and there were in this open, beautiful space, not too different from this space. There were two choral Eucharists going on at the same time, one back there, one up here. And it was like they were having a competition. And if one started singing louder, the other group started singing louder. And I thought, this is a parable of where the church is these days. Pull back the camera and you can find that it's a city divided into Jewish, Christian, and Muslim quarters, various religions thinking they've got a unique take on the way, the truth, and the life. Can you imagine people thinking that? If you read the history of Jerusalem, you will see that each group has at some point embraced a way marked by violence, choosing not the way of Jesus we're talking about. And if you pull back even further and think of churches and religious traditions in our part of the world, similarly imagining that they've got a corner on what the way of Jesus is all about, I bet we all have relatives and coworkers and friends who share that not so good news. As I absorb deep and historic divisions in that part of the world, as I think about deep divisions in our own part of the world, violence bringing so much pain there and here, I note that many of those divisions have a religious basis. And I wonder what on earth does Jesus have to do with that? And I refuse to believe that that is Jesus's way. At the same time, I believe that Jesus' way is a way that the world really needs and a way that we need to choose as a community. What the Spirit said to me in my pilgrimage is first that Jesus comes to show us the way. And he showed it with arms of love stretched on the hardwood of the cross to draw each one of us into his saving embrace. 
But he, just, uh, he doesn't just show us the way in rules and rituals, words and wisdom, acts of compassion. He not only shows the way, what we hear today is that he is the way, a way discovered in relationship with him so we can live in Christ and with Christ and through Christ and for Christ and because of Christ. When we realize his risen presence in our gathering like this, in scripture, in prayer, in gracious gifts of bread and wine, equipping us to be of service in the world, we are saying that Jesus Christ is risen. And that's enough to make us say, Alleluia. So let's come back to our friend Thomas. How might he be our example as we ask Jesus, how can we know the way? How might he be our example this week? Do we see ourselves as part of a Jesus school for disciples on the way, or do we believe we've arrived? Thank you very much. As we join a company of learners, we can take comfort in knowing that we are not alone. We are graced, especially in this parish in a time of transition, with this community of St. James, as together we move forward in the way of Jesus, which is the way of love. As our congregation moves into this new chapter, we may not know what the future holds, but we know the one who holds the future, and we are called to walk in his way like Thomas, to learn what it means that he is the way, meeting him in his risen presence with us now, as he graciously embodies the way, the truth, and the life, and helps us realize that we need not let our hearts be troubled. Thanks be to God. Amen.